0: In the last 100 years or so, our world has experienced what social scientists call massive urbanization. Well, let me explain so I can illustrate what I'm trying to say. 200 years ago, 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Now, it's well over 80% of the world population live in cities. Now, I remember during the days of my graduate schools in the 80s, and the professor would ask the question, where do you find most of the crimes in the small towns or in the city? Well, the answer is always the city. Where do you find most of the pollution? In the city. Where do you find most of the isolation and loneliness? In the city. Where do most people want to live? in the city. Now, sometimes you see these uh, movie stars and celebrities when they're being interviewed and they talk about their life and they say how they grew up in a small town, and they will tell you that they could not wait to get to the city. (laughs) Uh, They couldn't wait because of the allure of the city, because of the glamour and the glitter in the city becomes irresistible. After all, There is a fame in the city. There are opportunities in the city. There are anonymity in the city. There's enough entertainment to keep you busy and running around and don't think of God in the city. There are lots of activities uh, to keep you running haggard, literally, (laughs) in the city. And one of the great challenges for believers in the 21st century is how do we… Live in the city of man, wherever we are, with all of its problems, with all of its difficulties, with all of its challenges, and all of its distractions, but keep our eyes on the city of God to which we belong. That's really a challenge. That is really a temptation. Why I'm saying this? Because I find it much easier to love this life with little attention to where I'm going to be spending my forever. (laughs) There are very few of us who could say, with the writer to the Hebrews, in chapter 13, verse 14, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. All of us, young or old, it doesn't matter, all of us who live in this city of man, we don't think often of our eternal future. As most of you know, it's not a secret that I love kids, because sometimes the kids say the most amazing things, and they say it so truthfully, and they say it with somewhat wisdom that sometimes we don't even express as adults. And I read about a class, Sunday school class, of nine-year-old kids. They're all nine-year-olds. And the question was, what do you know about eternal life? I'm going to read to you some of the answers. Jenny said, when you die, they bury you in the ground, and your soul goes to heaven, but your body cannot go to heaven because it's too crowded up there already. (laughs) Julia said... uh, Only the good people are going to heaven. The other people will go somewhere where it's very, very hot all the time. Just like Florida. (laughs) Well, little Johnny chimed in and he said, Maybe I'll die someday, but I hope I don't die on my birthday. Because it's not fun to celebrate your birthday if you're dead. But Marsha, I think, topped them all when she said, you know, when you die, you don't have to do your homework (laughs) unless your teacher's there. (laughs) I think you don't have to look or listen hard to find out that in our culture, in our day, there is so much confusion about heaven and hell and eternity, eternal life and the life after. And Hollywood sold us a bill of goods by the movies and the shows that constantly tell everybody that when they die, everyone goes to heaven. And it really is. And those unscrupulous people who supposedly have died, and when they died, they saw light, and they saw Jesus, and and they write these books, and they tell that everybody's going to make it to heaven. Well, beloved, that does not only contradict every single page of the Word of God, but there are misleading people all the way to hell. The gospel makes it very, very clear, very clear, that only those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin and their eternal life, they are the ones who are assured of eternity in heaven with Jesus. Period. Today, I want to speak to those who have place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. I want to speak to those who know that they are going to heaven most assuredly, based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have begun a series of messages entitled, How Shall We Live Now in This Life? When we see everything around us is in opposition to the Christian faith, when everything around us is contrary to the Word of God when everything around us and so many people who are in authority, people in power, are ridiculing and opposing God's moral absolutes. How shall we, who know the Lord Jesus, live now? This is a series of messages. The last four messages, we traced the historic division from the beginning of creation between the city of God and the city of man. We saw how When Adam and Eve sinned against God, when they refused to obey God and want to go it alone, God placed an enmity between the descendant of the woman, namely the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and those who love Him, and the descendants of the serpents, those who reject the God's one and only plan of salvation for eternal life. And in the last message, I explain how sin and evil— Never stand still. I told you how it always goes from bad to worse, how it progresses in a downward direction. And I showed you how Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, they went outside of the garden, just outside of the gate. But then their son took that further, and he built a city to run away from God altogether. Then man's wickedness brought about God's judgment in the flood, But even after the flood, one of the descendants of Noah, Ham, a descendant by the name of Nimrod, Nimrod took evil even further, and he built Babylon, a city that is not only running away from God, but is in defiance to God, that stood against God, that worshipped the Zodiac instead of worshipping the one true God. As a consequence, God brought about confusion to the Babylonians. He brought about judgment— And I talked about the mystery of Babylon in the book of Revelation, and what it means. It means every city, every town, every community, every home, every place that is living against the will of God and living in rebellion against God is Babylon. Beloved, let me tell you something. Read the Scripture. Read history. You will find that whenever any people who want to reach God their own way, not God's way, there's always judgment to follow always. But then we saw also in the last message how God so graciously overruled man's sin and man's foolishness, and He raised up a godly man who's a descendant of Noah's son, Shem, who received the blessing And Abraham is the descendant of Shem, and God overruled in Abraham, the man of faith, and God blessed him with a promise. And we saw how Abraham, even though 4,000 years ago, he did not look at earthly Jerusalem. He looked forward, according to Hebrews, to the city whose architect and designer and builder is God. He's talking about that heavenly Jerusalem, that city that will be coming down from heaven, as the book of Revelation tells us. This new Jerusalem, or heaven, is where all the departed saints are now, with Jesus. And the Bible said, particularly in Thessalonians, that the day is coming when Jesus is coming back, and they are coming with Him in the clouds, and those of us who will be living during the rapture are going to meet them in the clouds. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hear me right, please. Those of us who belong to the city of God, and yet, for now, living in this place, being placed in this city, in the city of man. Whatever city you live in, you are placed in the city of man, but you are placed as an ambassador. The saddest thing is when you see ambassadors defecting their home country. We saw that during the days of the Soviet Empire, how some ambassadors from the Soviet bloc who come to Washington, D.C., but then they defect to the United States— now, it's great for the United States, but for their countries, they have not been loyal to their country. You see, we are placed in the city of man to call out others to come and join us. We are placed in the city of man to witness, to represent our home country, heaven. We are ambassadors. We are placed in the city of man to be a salt to keep this from rotting completely. We are placed in the city of man so that we may urge and plead with people, please escape the coming judgment. Please flee from the coming wrath of God. Please choose eternal life rather than eternal judgment. Please, please come and receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life from Jesus. And we do all of that with our eyes on the prize. We don't take our eyes off the prize. We keep focused on the city of God, the divine city that is to come, the heavenly Jerusalem that is to come, the eternal habitation which we call heaven. Now today I want to give you five reasons as to why believers tend to take their eyes off the prize and they place them totally, completely on this life. Five reasons. I want to share them with you. First of all, reason number one is false perception of the heavenly Jerusalem. Second reason is the overwhelming pressures of this life, which we all face. Third reason is the allure of the seen versus the unseen. And fourthly, it is the apostasy or the worldliness of the church of Jesus Christ here on earth, And finally, the false teaching regarding salvation in heaven. First of all, it's the false perception of the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to me. (laughs) If I believe half of that stuff, there's false perception. If half, I wouldn't want to go there either. I mean, think about this. Sitting in clouds and playing harp and Singing choruses 24 7, wearing halos and looking very cherubic. The streets of gold and the pearly gates and 24 7 boring church services, that is not heaven. There are all sorts of distortion about the city of God, the New Jerusalem. And the truth is this the heavenly city of God is awesome, it is absolutely magnificent. The heavenly city of God is indescribable to the human mind, and there is a reason why the Bible only gives us glimpses of eternity with, in, in heaven, and the reason for that is because if we really know what it's like, we would be jumping off skyscrapers to get there. Think of the best that you see here on earth and multiply it a billion times, and then you get to the truth. Think of the most beautiful scenery that you've ever seen anywhere in the world. Multiply it a billion times and then you get close to the truth. Philippians 1.23, Paul was trying to describe heaven, was trying to explain heaven. He finally says, it's far, 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 far better. (laughs) And so false perception keeps us from focusing on heaven. Secondly, the overwhelming pressures in life, young or old, we all seem to feel the pressure… And that eclipses our vision of our eternal future. Please listen carefully. Even the godliest among us has to admit that the problems of life steal our focus from heaven. The godliest among us the pressures of business and career and difficulties and family and financial challenges, when you consider the emotional wear and tear of life, when you consider the hurt and rejection and pain, when you consider the loss of loved ones, when you consider the various responsibilities that we carry with us in this life, all of these are combined to dim our vision of heaven. Don't misunderstand me. I believe God wants us to work hard. He does not want us to goof off. God wants us to be good stewards. I, I, I'm not saying you got to put white robes and head for the mountain. No. But by the same token that we do all of that with our focus and our attention toward the city of God that is yet to come, our focus is to introduce people to the Savior, We allow these pressures in life, these problems of life to help us to let the light of Christ shine through us. What difference otherwise between us and those who don't know Jesus, who are not going to heaven, who don't know they're going to heaven? These are all should be the focus of our heavenly reward. Beloved, the world is desperate to know God. There is deep longing inside of them. In fact, they're living in quiet Desperation. They want to know God. They want to know the true God. The reason we must forgive their insults and ridicule, the reason we must love them despite of the fact they set themselves as enemies toward us. The reason we pray for them in spite of that enmity and hatred is because we long for them to come and know Jesus. Amen. So a false perception of the city of God distorts the truth about the city of God and Secondly, the overwhelming pressures of the city of man often eclipses our vision of the eternal city of God. Thirdly, the allure of what is seen trips us. It really does. And how about you? I know it trips me all the time. I mean, by nature, listen, all of us, by nature, your pastor is included, (laughs) what we see with our eyes gets our immediate attention, right? By nature, what is visible tugs on our heartstrings, right? We say, out of sight, out of mind. And this is absolutely true. In this postmodern culture, people can literally believe what can only be described as make belief There are some people who sit there for hours, I'm talking about millions of people, watching these soap operas in the morning, and they really believe it's real. You don't believe me? Just a couple of years ago, there was one of those morning soap operas where somebody killed somebody and the person died. Thousands and thousands of cards and flowers were sent. Make-belief become believed by most people. That's the problem. That's what we're dealing with. So many millions of people are confusing reality with make-belief, and they're living in the non-reality world. And yet, there are many others who think that God's promise of heaven is a foolish fantasy. They say, well, it's just something for the poor and the needy to hold on to so they can cope with life. <laughs> Even the least materialistic believer among us can get sucked in by these make-belief. So they make their business plans, they make their life plans. They make the retirement plans. They make all sorts of plans, as if they're going to live forever. So many people who confess Christ as Savior and Lord, and yet they give the crumbs that are falling off their tables, and they think they're great philanthropists. Give me a break. I mean, there's some people who come to church late, leave early, and they think they're great spiritual people. Beloved, the Scripture is clear. Only what you give to the Lord in this life will be waiting for you on the other side. False perception of the city of God works against us. Overwhelming pressures of life eclipse our vision of the city of God. The allure of what is seen blinds us to the reality of the city of God. And fourthly, the church's worldliness, the church's muddled teaching, muddled thinking regarding the city of God impacts us. Walk to the average church and pick someone at random and ask, what are your spiritual goals? You'll be shocked with the answers. Walk to the average church and pick someone at random and say, how are you accomplishing God's purpose in your life? You'll be shocked with the answers. Good grief! There is the average pastor <laughs> in the church. <laughs> has muddied view. There are some people now, mega church pastors, teaching that your best life is now. Give me a break. The early church lived and worked to glorify God and the name of God in this life because they were looking forward to the next. They planned for heaven and for eternity, their priority was holiness. Ours is happiness. Their priorities were sacrificing for God. Ours is self-satisfaction. Their measure of success was measured by eternity and eternal perspective. Ours measured by how much we can accumulate. Let me ask you this. Why would anyone want to think of heaven, the city of God, when their best life is here? when their best life is now. It's not a secret that uh, today we try to live a life without risk, without loss, and without pain. We really do. I mean, after all, every desire can be gratified, and every pain can be alleviated, and every limitation can be transcended, and every happiness can be achieved. Why ever think about it? heaven and plan for heaven. And so, false perception of heaven can deter us. Life's pressures can eclipse our vision of heaven. The allure of the visible blinds us. The church's worldliness muddles our vision. Five, false teaching which is rampant about eternity and heaven and salvation there are so many so called mega evangelical churches who never preach on heaven or hell or eternity never not one time now i thank god for all the faithful ones here in the city who preach the truth and let the chips fall where they may but there are very few of us left the mainline denomination is gone a long time ago about the subject. Now the so-called evangelical churches have joined the chorus, and you hear them say, God will not send anyone to hell. Well, <laughs> this is actually true and false at the same time. God is not going to send anyone to hell that have not chosen to go to hell. If they refuse God's plan of salvation, if they refuse Jesus' salvation, if they refuse His hand of forgiveness, if they refuse the cross of Christ, they're going to walk into hell with their own feet. They're sending themselves to hell. They will go there because they refuse the one and only true gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll never forget in the early days of this church when we were part of a mainline church, and I felt a burden in my heart to reach out to some of these pastors in the mainline denominations. I really did, and I began to set series of lunches. I would invite them to come one-on-one, and I would just talk to them, draw them out, begin to talk to them about, you know, why is it only one way to God, why Jesus is the only way to heaven, why? I'll never forget one time a man who's ordained in the mainline denomination, and I'd set up a series of lunches with him. I invited him, and I began to talk to him about what the Scripture said and why it's very important that, about the truth and so forth. And then all of a sudden, in the end, he got so angry, and he looked at me and said, how arrogant of you to say that there's only one way to God, that Jesus is the only way to God. I said to him, I said, your false teaching not only misleads people, but misleads them all the way to hell. Your false teaching confuses even some of the professing Christians I pleaded with him. This is not my idea. This is the truth of God. I only accept it. It is Jesus who made the claim. It is Jesus who made the statement. It is Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, to no avail. To no avail. Now, this teaching, for some of you who might not know, is known as universalism. It's a big word, but what it means, so many inner churches practice or believe universalism. Everybody's going to make it. it doesn't matter if they're Hindu, Buddhist. Everybody's going to make it in the end. This is how they see it. The Bible said God is love, and therefore love is God. And all we need to do is love. Beloved, this is, to me at least, as I've been studying the Scripture for 50 years, And as I'm looking at our world today in the last three to five years, as I'm examining the condition of the church of where we are and where we're going, I believe with all my heart we're coming toward the end. Not fear. Lift up your head, the Bible said, for your day of redemption draws nigh. Amen. Amen. Give God praise. Give God praise. very few now can really say with Hebrews 13:14, we have not here an abiding city, but we seek after the city that is to come. Please hear me right. I'm getting close to the end. I love life as much as you do. I love serving the Lord in this life. I love serving the kingdom of God in this life. I love serving my family in this life. But every waking moment now, I am looking forward to the coming of Jesus, Amen. to that new city, and every day it's growing in intensity. I know probably some of you walked in here felt discouraged, maybe despondent, disappointed. Only you and God know where you are. I see God on my knees. Because I don't know everyone. And I said, Lord, how can I be an encouragement? And my mind just immediately went to something I have heard. I'm going to share this with you as I conclude. A man by the name of Henry C. Morrison from the Midwest. Henry served the Lord in Africa for 40 years, faithfully. He worked long and hard. He, he endured cold nights and hot days and served Jesus with all of his heart. At the end of his 40-year service, he was returning home to retire in the Midwest. On the boat that brought him from Europe into the New York Harbor, there was President Teddy Roosevelt on the same boat, the same ship. And so, when they docked at the New York Harbor, there were thousands of people at the harbor waiting for Teddy Roosevelt, and they were um, waving flags, and there was music, fanfare, and celebration, welcoming President Roosevelt home. Not one, not one person was waiting for henry and welcoming him home not one being made of flesh and blood like all of us henry morrison felt dejected disappointed disparaged and he became depressed and so he went from the harbor to the train station bought a ticket to get home to the midwest And as he sat in that train, he heard the voice of the Lord audibly, whispering in his ear, Henry, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. He was not talking about the Midwest. He's talking about heaven. My beloved friends, some of you may have faithfully served the Lord and received not a word of thanks. And you despondent, discouraged. Some of you may have sacrificed dearly. Not one acknowledged your sacrifice. You may have been teaching and serving and giving. And no one said a thing to you. Remember, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Wait till you get home. And you hear from the lips of Jesus, Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to say amen, and amen, and amen. <clears throat> Will you pray with me? God, I ache in my heart for those who have no hope. And I also ache in my heart for those who know you, and yet they chose to live The life focusing on the problems of the city of man instead of the glories and the joys of the city of God. Father, even as we see the day drawing nigh, will you stir us up? Will you shake us out of our comfort and our apathy and our doing just what is needed and the minimum? Prepare our hearts so that your day will not come as a thief, but will come for us ready and have our oil in our lamps. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.